Matthew 28:18-20 Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Romans ten nine through 15 That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How cool is it that this church allows everyone of whatever age who wants to serve to be a part of serving? I just praise God um, right there for... um, that reading of scripture. Wasn't that awesome? Let's give God a hand for that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for all that you have done. Thank you for Zechariah being wanting to read the scripture this morning. Thank you for the way that you find a place for all of us. Thank you that you meet us right where we are today. You comfort us. You challenge us. You encourage us. You convict us. We're here today, Lord. We're honest with you. We're opening our hearts We want to hear what you say to us. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to personally thank each one of you for being here instead of in Punxsutawney this morning on Groundhog Day. In case you missed it, Phil saw his shadow six more weeks of winter, if you believe that. Uh, It's also, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but it's been cold. Has anybody noticed that? Oh my goodness. You know, yesterday it was like 35 degrees and we're all out in shorts and t-shirts going, wow, isn't this great? It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Cold, cold, cold. It's been so cold. 
It's made uh, me think about cold places, and I was thinking about that icebreaker in Antarctica, that Russian research vessel that got stuck about a month ago. They got stuck on um, December 24th. The name of the vessel is the Academic Shakulsky. That's my really slaughtered Russian uh, uh, version of whatever the real name probably is. It is a research vessel. It was trapped uh, 2,250 miles south of Tasmania. (laughs) If you're 2,250 miles south of Tasmania, there's nothing there except a lot of ice, apparently. And um, they had over 50 scientists and tourists who needed to be uh, rescued off that boat. And the Chinese had an icebreaker nearby and a helicopter. And they were able to, finally, on January 2nd, they had to wait a whole week because of the weather, they were able to ferry people off with the helicopter and put them onto an Australian icebreaker. There were a lot of icebreakers there. And um, finally, the um, Russian ship broke free on January 8th. And I just thought, wow, that that was cold. I bet that was cold. Yeah. It's uh, ice is a powerful thing. And you need to have a good captain who can not only get you in, but get you out. They had a good captain who got him in. It was just getting out. That was something to be dealt with. Ice and ships is uh, a familiar uh, idea to us. We've We know that ships and ice don't go well together. This coming April 14th, it'll be 102 years since uh, a very famous ship encountered some ice at 2.20 a.m. RMS Titanic sank after hitting an iceberg out in the middle of the North Atlantic. The ship, Titanic, was 822 feet long. That's the largest ship of its day, but now it could easily fit inside one of our cruise ships. Isn't that interesting? 2,223 passengers and crew were on that ship. 13 honeymooning couples were on that ship. There were six warnings of icebergs, and yet they continued at 22.5 knots, which was pretty much maximum speed. They were trying to make the record of the crossing of the Atlantic. And there was only 30 seconds between the sighting of the last berg before the ship hit it. They couldn't turn in time. The number of forward compartments that could be breached and could flood without the ship sinking was four, and the number that actually flooded turned out to be six. So they were doomed. There were 706 survivors, 1,500 and 17 lost their lives, and two lapdogs were saved. Wow. People needed to be saved that night. People needed lifeboats. There was a ship that was only about 10 miles away, but it saw the um, flares from Titanic and thought that it was just a celebration because it was the Titanic. They must be celebrating, it was unsinkable or so they thought. And so that ship kept moving. Another ship, the Carpathia, was several more miles away, and they got the distress signals and poured on the boilers as fast as they could, but it still took them three and a half hours to get there. And only the people in the lifeboats from Titanic lived. Everybody else succumbed to the hypothermia by being in the open water. It was only about a 20-minute window they had to live. 
lifeboats saved many lives, and Titanic was capable of carrying 64 lifeboats, but only 20 were brought because they wanted to have more room on the deck for parties and fun and things like that. And so only one-third of the people on board were capable of being saved. Wow. As Christians, we talk a lot about salvation, don't we? We talk about getting saved. And we have lots of examples in the Bible of people who give great testimonies of what it's like to be saved. And many of us in this room can give a testimony to say, the moment I gave my life to Christ... It it turned things around. It didn't make everything easier necessarily, but I knew that I was saved. Paul says to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, after this guy has had him in jail and there's been an earthquake and and Paul and the other prisoners have not run away and there's been an exchange, etc. And finally the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And of course, we heard these great verses right here from Romans chapter 10 that were read. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone, it says later, in a few verses later, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those are powerful promises. That's something that we hold on to when we realize that in our own brokenness, we need the hope and the salvation of God. And when we realize that God is reaching out to us and willing to save us, that is so powerful. That is so key to us. I wonder, however, if we fully understand everything that those verses mean. I mean, what does it mean exactly to say that we believe in Jesus? I mean, what about those folks who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but then you don't see any indication in their life that there's been a change or, or, or that they ever show up for worship or that there's any kind of uh, indication that they, they know Jesus or love Jesus? Sometimes we say, oh, well, a prisoner just confessed to Love Jesus. Yeah, that's just a jailhouse confession, you know? And then after a while, when they get out, they'll go back to their old ways. That's a little cynical because lots of people really do meet Christ in jail. But there's some truth to it, isn't there? And we struggle sometimes. What if somebody says, I believe, but there's no change in their complete messed up lifestyle? Well, I think partly this has to do with what we mean when we say, believe. Maybe believe means more than just, yeah, I acknowledge a fact to be true. I mean, listen to these verses. In James chapter 2, James writes, Faith itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, if you talk about faith, but there's no sense of you living a life of following Jesus, then what kind of real faith is that? That's just kind of dead faith. He says later, you're going to show me your faith without any deeds? Well, I'll show you my faith by what I do, by the way I live. And then verse 19, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And you might think this is a little bit weird that this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But I love this verse because it's right in our faces. 
It's right in our faces about the fact that believing is something which is more than just acknowledging. And this is the verse. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you understand what's going on there? The demons would say, Jesus is Lord. They said that several times in the Bible. And they know that they will bow their knee to him someday. But does that mean they're saved? They say it. They believe it to be true. But is that the same thing as being saved? Or in Philippians chapter 2 where it says, Someday, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every single knee will bow. Every angel, every demon, every dictator, Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Paul Pot, Kim Il-sung, you name it. Whoever your bad guy is out there, there's lots of them. You and I will kneel, we'll all kneel, but will everyone be saved? They'll all say Jesus is Lord, and they'll all believe it, but will they all be saved? This is why we have to do theology, friends, because we can't just say, well, this is what the Bible says, so I believe it. But sometimes the Bible says things, and we have to say, okay, now now what does that mean? I have to think about what that means, especially in light of the Bible saying this over here. I don't think the Bible contradicts itself, but you have to understand what it actually means in order to understand how it doesn't necessarily contradict itself. See, when it talks about, I believe that Jesus is Lord, I think we're talking about more than just a mental agreement, more than just verbally saying that. If we're, when we become saved, it's more than just this one-time event. We have a really anemic understanding of believing in Jesus if we think it's just this moment where we say, okay, I believe, I believe it's true. I believe it's true. And then you're like, that, that's it. Does that, is that all it takes to be saved? Jesus says in Luke 9.23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Do you hear how daily taking up your cross does not sound like a one-time event? It's an everyday obedience kind of thing. It's kind of like being a member of an orchestra or a a sports team or an academic challenge team or, or something like that. And someone had to see your potential. Somebody started saying, well, let's kick the ball around here a little bit. You know, you look like you got some good potential here. Or somebody said, here, pick up that violin and, you know, and, and we'll start teaching you that. And somebody reached out to you and nurtured you for a while. And then at some point you had to make this decision. Are you going to join the orchestra? Are you going to join the soccer team? Are you going to join the academic challenge team? And you made that decision, and that decision was real. But once you made that decision, it wasn't just like, okay, great, you made the decision. Okay, now you never have to show up. No, once you make that decision, it's like practice is after school for two hours every day. Or practice is what you have to do at home when you're working on your violin or whatever. See, when you become a part of the team, it's not just saying, I become a part of the team and I'm in. 
But it's no, you, you enter into this life of being a person who's part of an orchestra or a sports team or an academic challenge team or whatever. So, you know, you have to go like this. Or you have to go like this. Or I don't know how to do an academic challenge team. I don't know. I don't know. But, but you have to practice all the time. There was an old Methodist bishop who was once asked when he decided to follow Jesus. He said, I can tell you exactly when. It's complicated, though. Here it is. The first time I decided was, and then he gave a date, February 2nd, you know, 1922 or something like that. All right? But then he said, but I'll tell you, I've done it over and over again. In fact, the last time I decided to follow Jesus was when I woke up this morning and I said, I'm going to follow Jesus today. See, this salvation thing, it's a process. It doesn't just start one day when out of the blue we say, I'd like to be saved. God reaches out to us. He's wooing us. He's calling us. He's recognizing our potential. And then he says, do you want to join the team? And we say, yeah, I do. I do want to be connected with you, God. I want to be right with you. But then when that's over, he doesn't just go, okay, great. Hey, you're wonderful. He says, you're going to come to practice? You're going to show up? Salvation comes not just when we affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord, but when we reorient our whole lives into becoming daily followers of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Salvation comes not just when we affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord, but when we reorient our whole lives into becoming daily followers of Jesus Christ because the demons will affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they are not reorienting their whole lives to become followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you say, wait a minute, are, are you saying somebody's not saved if they say those words? No, I, they're saved. If you say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and I confess my sins and I want to follow him and you walk out 25 seconds later and get hit by a Mack truck, you're going to heaven. You are. But if you walk out and for the next 25 years you never ever talk to God again, well, I, I don't, I'm not the judge. I don't get to judge here. Nobody gets to judge. But how are you on the team? That's just kind of weird, don't you think? What did that believe in Jesus really mean? I can say I truly believe that I can learn to play the piano, but unless I actually go home and start practicing, isn't that sort of a kind of a meaningless thing? Yeah, I can learn to play the piano. Sure. What does that mean unless I put my hands on a keyboard? I can believe that this bridge will hold me, but what if I refuse to drive on it ever? Would you say that I really believe it? Versus if I drive across it every single day. You'd say, yeah, obviously he believes the bridge will hold. This is where the other verse that was read this morning from Matthew 28 comes in. The Great Commission. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you. All the time. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus says, first of all, go into the world, 
and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know how people sometimes say, the Trinity isn't in the Bible. That's a pretty huge statement of the Trinity right there, isn't it? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them everything I've commanded you to do, what's the last thing Jesus commanded them to do? The absolute last thing he commanded them to do is go into all the world and make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded to do. Do you, see, do you hear how that's his last command? And that's the command, the call, that's on all of our lives as Christians. That's the call that we are to obey. The call of all disciples or followers of Jesus is to become people who make disciples of Jesus. Did you hear that? The call on your life, on my life, on all of our lives, the call on all disciples of Jesus is to become people who make disciples of Jesus. See, we're not just supposed to remain spiritual infants. We're not just supposed to say, okay, I believed the right things and now I'm in, you know. If I die today, I'm going to heaven. That's true. Praise God for that. But that's, that's like remaining an infant your whole life. You don't want to do that. You want to grow up. You want to become more mature. You want to grow in your faith. You know, we've been talking about uh, different kinds of ships today. You know, there's nothing like February in western New York to make you say, cruise ship? That's a really good idea. Don't you think, I mean... Doesn't it just sound really good to get on a, an airplane and go down to Florida right now and get on a cruise ship and cruise around the Caribbean and, and have people serve you cool drinks on the Lido deck or something? You know, that sounds like a good experience, doesn't it? And cruise ships are, I imagine, fun. I've never been on one, but I'm sure some of you have. I'm sure it's a wonderful experience. We won't ask for a raising of hands or anything like that. Escaping in luxury to a beautiful place, that's wonderful. But you know what? It's not a good image for Christianity. Cruise ship Christianity is something that many of us are tempted by. We want to show up and say, yes, I believe the right things, and now, Jesus, will you serve me that cool drink on the Lido deck, please? I'm here to relax. Serve me. I've shown up to the church. Entertain me. I'm here. Do my bidding. No, no, no. That's a temptation because the call of Christ on our lives is not for us to sit back, but it's to become involved in some really cool ways. See, the call of Christ on our life means that we're called, first of all, to obey his word, and oh, that's a direct challenge to the sin that I, I kind of like and that I suspect you kind of like. You know, the sin that's you know, not right out in front, but the, the one that you say, well, you know, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not into that. But, you know, when times get stressful, you go, well, maybe I'll just retreat to that just for a little bit. Kind of keep it in the back closet. Pull it out once in a while. Nurture it back there. Don't really want to, you know, let people know about it when they come into my life. But I'll pull it out. See, when you decide to not be cruising with Jesus on the cruise ship, you, you turn your life over to him. And he calls you to do other things besides worship the idols of security or comfort or ease. He calls you to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily and to follow him. It's not like a cruise ship when we become Christians. I think it's quite a bit more like an icebreaker. An icebreaker which, frankly, does not have a Lido deck. 
an icebreaker which is a little bit more cold and which doesn't really cruise around the Caribbean. But let me tell you, its purpose is so important. If there's a whole bunch of little ships stuck in a harbor with the ice pack around, the icebreaker can break through the ice pack and create a lane, and all those ships, instead of being crushed by the ice, can follow that out to open sea and then down to seas where it's more warm so they can be saved. They can be saved. The icebreaker can save people. And Jesus says, come on to my crew and become a person who reaches out and saves people. It's not going to be as comfortable as a cruise ship. And you're going to have a job that you're supposed to show up to. And you're going to have duties that you're supposed to do. But the sense of purpose and the sense of meaning in your life and the sense of I'm doing something with my life, which is way more important than just entertaining myself and making myself feel comfortable, that is worth so much. That is such a powerful, real, awesome reality. This whole salvation thing is not about just getting you onto the cruise ship. It's about this lifelong process of entering a crew who becomes life-saving to other people as well. You don't just get saved so you can go to heaven. That's just like infant stuff. You don't want to remain an infant. You want to grow up in your faith and become someone who's mature enough to help other people become Christians as well. Well, I imagine that some of you might be sitting here panicking, thinking, what is he talking about? That might be true if you're not a Christian, and some of you might be sitting here and saying, you know, I'm not really sure I believe any of this stuff yet. And that's all right. That's where you are. God is calling out to you. It's not a mistake you're here today. God is working in your life and saying, you want to be part of my crew? It's very interesting. He's calling out to you. That's okay. Some of you might say, well, hey, I'm just a baby Christian. I, I, seriously, I became a Christian like last month. I'm supposed to disciple other people? No, not yet. You're not. You're still kind of in a lifeboat. You haven't even gotten on the big ship yet. You haven't learned what your skills and talents are yet. You haven't been assigned a duty yet. It's okay. That's okay. You don't have to worry. That won't be expected of you. But I also imagine that some of you might be squirming a little bit because you got in that lifeboat a long time ago and they rowed you back to the big ship and you've been sitting on deck but you haven't really ever reported for duty. And Jesus is saying, you have awesome skills and abilities and I would love for you to be a part of the crew. Would you like to be more than just a person who sits on deck like this? but somebody who is working actively to help this ship run? Well, how am I supposed to do that, Jesus? What am I supposed to do to make disciples? Well, you have to mature in your faith first, and you have to begin to learn what it means to be a Christian. So you, sometimes you got to read your Bible, you show up to worship, you know, Join a small group. Do some of these things that, that we do that helps us grow. Take communion. Hang out with other Christians. That's really the simplest answer of all. Just hang out with other Christians. Let it rub off on you. 
when they come upon something in life and you're standing right next to them and they go, hmm, I could cuss that guy out for cutting me off or I could say, wow, they must be in a big hurry. Let's pray for that guy. And you go, woohoo, reorient. It's not what I would have done. And you start to think, okay, okay, maybe that's the kind of, you know, and you start to grow in your faith because you're hanging out and you're growing. That's, then after a while, when people start hanging out with you, they start growing in their faith as well, okay? By the way, somebody who's brand new Christian, oftentimes you're one of the best evangelists out there because you don't know what evangelism is. You're just like, man, this is great. I found Jesus. Let's invite my friends. You haven't hung out in church long enough to find out that evangelism is scary. Don't talk to people about Jesus. Church people don't do that. Do you know the average United Methodist invites a person to church once every 48 years in America? And in South Korea, the average United Methodist invites a person to church once, uh, twice a month. Wow. So if you're a new Christian... I hope you didn't hear anything I just said. Just invite your friends to church. <laughs> just bask in it. Invite your friends to church. It's great. But if you're somebody who's been hanging out for a while, your call is to bring people to Christ, to mature them, to grow them. And unlike the Titanic, there are lifeboats enough for everyone, friends. See, Jesus is like the captain of the ship that's coming in with the lifeboats. And he's sending lifeboats, but he's saying, who's going who's gonna to row this boat? Who's going to bring this boat out to these people who are in the water and they're going to die if they stay there much longer? Will you be one of the people who takes the lifeboat out and bring them back to this ship? There's room in the lifeboat for you, and there's, room in the, there's lifeboats for you to go and bring other people in. And there's room on the crew of the big ship that Jesus is the captain of, the icebreaker, there's room on the crew. You know, it's easy to find people who will sign up for the cruise ship. It's harder to get crew for the icebreaker. But man, the purpose and the, the importance of what they do is so much, so much greater. Jesus and his lifeboat crew are floating right next to you, and he's saying, come on, get in the boat. And some of us are trying to deal. We're in the water going yeah, but do I get to go back to New York City Pier 54 like you brought the other survivors of Titanic? Or do I have to be on your crew? And Jesus is looking over the boat. He's going, well, you're welcome in the boat, but you do have to join the crew. And we're like, I don't know if I want to do that. Of course, I'm dying. And the truth is, Jesus wants you to live. He wants you to get in the lifeboat and he wants you to come on the big boat. And he wants you to become part of his crew. And so some of you need to make a choice today. Some of you are in the water and you need to say, all right, Jesus, I'll get in the lifeboat. And I encourage you to do that because it's the best choice you'll ever make. But it's only just the beginning because he's not going to take you back and just drop you off at the pier. And there's some of you who are in the lifeboat or you're back on the big ship and the challenge of Christ is time has come for you to show up for duty. 
And I encourage you to do it because it is awesome. And you will grow so much. And you will know it's worth it. So friends, whichever one of those positions you're in, I don't know where you're at, but my call to you this morning is the title of my sermon. All aboard. All aboard. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace which reaches out to us. And for those who need to climb in for the first time, Lord, we pray that they will today say, all right, Jesus, I get it. Salvation, I'm coming with you. I believe. And for those who have believed but haven't wanted to necessarily join the crew, Lord, we just pray that you will inspire each of us to realize that we're not passengers any longer. We're not here to be served, but we're here to serve. And if we join, it'll be the best thing in the world. Strengthen us now, Lord, to make the right decision, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.